0: Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode number 13 for Monday, May 4th, 2015, here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. And this is Paul Kent out in Las Gatas, California. Paul, I think I might be rivaling your weather today. It was like 85 here and sunny, and we had to turn on the air conditioner. Wow, ah, you guys stuff. have been due,
1: though, right? I mean, you paid oh, the price yeah. for this. Oh, yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Overdue.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one way of looking at it, for sure. Well, good. Did you have a nice day? I did. Yeah, I had the windows open. I, I mean, I worked, um, you know, for the most part today, but I had the windows open and spent a little time outside when I was on the phone and uh, and went for a little walk. And
1: yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was good. It's just so nice. You know, when the weather gets nice... And like I've said many times, we do so many of our gigs outside and there is, really is nothing like a beautiful hot summer evening playing rock and roll in front of dancing people. It is the best thing on earth, man. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yes. Yes. Yep.
0: I, I love playing outside. It's great. It yep. is. Yeah. Sound is easier outside too. I'd rather. Yeah. yeah. EQ is easier outside. You You have to reinforce everything because everything disappears, but. Um, yeah, but it's not bouncing off stuff. You got it <laughs> way, <laughs> way easier. You could have monitors screaming at you and they rarely are going to feedback unless you're using the wrong microphone or something. But, um, yeah, it's good.
1: It's good. We're lucky so, that some of these gigs we do are in pretty big stages too, but it's funny. Like one, one of the first times we had a, a gig on a really, really big stage, we used the whole stage and the band played like crap. I mean, we you know yeah. there's a there's a happy medium. It's not like a crowded club stage, but it doesn't mean you have to put you know everybody to every far corner of the stage. We lost a lot of the kind of connection and communication. So lesson was learned there. So so we're kind of a happy medium now. We don't stretch out and use everything. But um, we're not quite on top of each other, but we're probably a little closer than than you would think when you have all that great room to uh, to entertain.
0: No, that's totally true. And that's a that's a hard, uh, hard learned lesson for, I think, every band you you just you know, you you go through that. And I've I mean, I've been through it with many bands and it's the same outcome every time. But, you know, you kind of have to. You, you have to learn. I guess I don't think a whole lot about it because I'm setting up my drums and I'm like, okay, I'll be here. And then suddenly it's like, oh, wow, well, what are you doing? Way over. The, we're not used to being this far apart. You know, so bands that play big venues all the time maybe
1: get used to that. But I even see bands like that, you know, tighten up. Yeah. Just, you're used to playing on top of each other. And that well, you thing. need that eye contact. And, you know, there's yeah. little subtle things that happen. So, yeah. Uh, you just uh, you got to find the happy medium
0: you do yeah right i mean there is the you're packed into a a tiny stage in a club and it's way too tight Uh, certainly you hear all the nuances there and and you even feel each other's breath maybe but um you know like you said there's there's a happy medium you don't need to go to the you know every having everybody hang 10 off the front of the stage and all that stuff way out so you have a lot of summer stuff planned uh some. Yeah. We um we have yeah, we have a couple things. Actually more than a couple of things, but um you know, we all go on vacations and stuff in the summer too. Our our gig schedule doesn't typically uh with Fling it doesn't really increase in the summer. We're still at that kind of two a month sort of range, but I will wind up playing more acoustic gigs kind of outside on the, you know, on the deck, seven to 10 kind of type gigs that those are the best, you, you know, cause you're just oh, absolutely in the sun and it's easy and you know, it takes you four minutes to set up and four minutes to tear down and you don't get to rock do out say it's hard, but
1: you know, I do got to say that demand for acoustic gigs around here is really exploding a lot more places are wanting acoustic cover music. So, and you know, some of it is Wednesday night or Thursday night, Yeah, but, but there's plenty of stuff that's, you know, Saturday, Sunday afternoon, Mm -hmm. Friday evenings. I mean, I'm, I'm still getting calls and I'm doing, I'm doing six to eight a month now and I'm turning a couple down. So between the trio and just doing it myself, it is, it's really cool. I mean, we, we have a lot of wineries around here and this seems to be a really nice, um, a uh, nice uh, style of music for the wine tasting room. So we get a lot of those gigs.
0: Yeah. That's great.
1: Yeah. It's nice. It's laid back. Yeah. People can kind of chill and get into it if they want or, or detach a little bit, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I gotta, great. I gotta put a plug in. I bought one of those Bose personal audio systems. Yeah. Love it. That's the, the, um the, the tower thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, you know, there's a, there's a subunit. Yep. And then there's the tower. And the tower you can buy in a couple different configurations uh, based upon how much spread you want. So they have like I think 100 people, 200 people, and 300 people recommended configurations. And then it comes. Uh, one of the options you can have is this little mixer called a Tone Match four channel mixer. Yep. And um, you can EQ things. You can, there are a bunch of um, presets for different types of guitars, different types of microphones. Uh, it sounds great. Set up. It's light to carry in. Setup is five minutes. It is one of the the most trusted and beloved piece of gears in my arsenal.
0: And so with that, you put that behind you or off to the side of you. So you, so that is your monitor as well
1: as the, yeah. the mains, right? Yeah. Behind me. Yeah. And yeah. I can, I hear so much better than a wedge in front of me. It's crazy. Sure. Yeah. I and bet. you're hearing exactly what the audience hears. Right. Yeah. You get the same mix. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Those, those can work well. I've, I've dealt
0: with them in acoustic scenarios and they're like, I mean, they're, they're fantastic, super easy and sound great. And usually for those size venues, it, you know, it works out well. I've, I've played with a rock band where the singer, that was the PA that, that we used. That's what the the singer had. And, uh, you
1: know, not really quite enough. Um, Yeah, Bose used to market them as one per person. Yeah. And you can get rid of Frontline and you can just use these instead. And, you know, I don't really understand the physics and the science of it, though, because this concept of sound pressure levels. So how, you know, they say, you know, the guy 100 feet back here is at the exact same volume as you here on on the stage, which just doesn't make any physics sense to me.
0: No that it do, that does make sense when you start talking about line arrays right where where you have very directional
1: speakers aimed at different places but with this But thing, that's what they're it, saying these are the, yeah. the whole tower has like you know, 10, 12, 15, 16 small speakers that are angled in a whole bunch of different directions. But they're all going I mean, they're all going out. It's
0: not like a line array is 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 actually curved so that, right. you know, the one at the top is is shooting way over the heads of the people in the front and the one at the bottom is shooting straight at them. So you turn the one at the bottom down and the one at the top way up and it's very right. directional. It works. I am not. I, I have not experienced that with the Bose towers. <laughs>
1: um no, but, no i agree with you yeah but they, uh, my point is that's what they for say. small intimate things oh totally it, you know it, they they work fantastic yep i agree i agree yeah and and you're right you and can, they
0: sound fantastic they do Yep, it's good so um uh we're going to talk a little bit about how we practice and how we learn songs and what the differences are there
1: but uh before that did you have any gigs this week no, I actually had the weekend off. I watched that horrible fight on Saturday Ooh. night. Oh, Yeah, that was lackluster. We had a good time. We had a bunch That's of people good. over and we had a good time. That's and uh, Friday night, my wife and I just hung out. So we enjoyed a weekend off. It's good that I have a couple weekends with nothing before it turns into a lot of stuff. This keeps harmony in the family, which is very important. It,
0: it is. There is a balance there. The, the, the life gig balance. That's right. Yep. yep. Yeah, I had, the, uh, I had the weekend off, too. Uh, I did go on Friday night. I went and saw a band uh, here with a guitar player that I I played with a little bit back in the fall. But um, it's a it's a band called Pink Talking Fish, and they're <laughs> well, it, it's actually a great idea. They um, they play uh, this guitar player that I played with is, was is a, uh, a the newest member of the band. They they brought him in right after I wanted to play him with him in the fall. He used to have a band called the Freaks, which was a fish tribute band, and that's all they played was was fish tunes. But um, they brought him into this band and they've been around for several years, I guess. And they've always kind of had floating guitar players. But I think this guy's going to stick because he's absolutely great for them. But they play a mix of Pink Floyd, Talking Heads and Fish Tunes. Sometimes, almost simultaneously, where they segue from one to the other and back, and, and uh, they've, they've really worked it out, and they're really tight. Everybody can play really well, and the and, uh, singers are, are good. And it was a fun little gig, and it was
1: about four minutes from my house, so that makes it even better. That's cool. Yeah. I'm going to see um, Esperanza Spaulding tomorrow night. I don't even know who that is. It's a, a jazz bassist. Okay. Grammy Grammy winner. Yep. Huh. So... That should be good. I'll report back on that. I want to hear. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You saw but you did. You saw somebody else this week too. This past week, right? It was a couple of weeks ago. Oh, ah, okay. Yeah, okay. so um uh, the interesting dynamic in my house is I don't have I mentioned that I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan? Once. Once. Okay. Well, yep. it's important that you know that about me if we're going to continue. Our friendship. Okay. Okay.
0: Let me, you know what? Give me one minute. I'm going to ask our audience to wait. I'm going to log this in my, in your contact record in my phone. So I don't forget because okay. you
1: don't talk about it a lot. So I, no. um, I would forget. That's right. I'm yeah. I, I'm, I'm pretty low key about it anyway. So I, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan and Terry, my wife is the lifelong dyed in the wool, passionate Barry Manilow fan. Yeah. So we've had some interesting, um, you know, I, I'll go to her show. She goes to my shows. I've seen Barry probably 10 to 12 times. I've seen him in Vegas. I've seen him in little theaters. Uh, we went to we went to L.A. for a Hollywood Bowl show once. And, nice. and, and uh, here's the thing about Barry. I, I would be like many guys who are like rockers, you know, over the years. I was like, Oh, you know, it's just kind of so syrupy and, and and I would say that has been my opinion about him, that you know, his lyrical content and the kind of the poppy style of his music. It just didn't do a whole lot for me for a long time. But, but you I'll can't tell you smile this, without him. That's I mean, true.
0: You know. <laughs> well, and, and he writes the songs. so He did write the songs that the, the whole world sang. That's right.
1: So um uh he we go And it it actually was our anniversary. And so this was an anniversary thing for my wife. Yeah. And my wife was so excited. Thank you. And uh, this is billed as his last concert tour. I think think he'll probably, most people think he'll go back to doing the Vegas thing, but actually touring, this is probably it. So my wife was very, you know, excited about this, bittersweet, you know, like you you would be, you Mm -hmm. know, if your favorite. So we go. Like I'll be when Rush tours this summer. That's right. There you go. Yeah. Oh, I got it. I'll have a good rush story to remind me to tell you that. Okay. Um, so anyway, we go and it's, it's the same kind of vibe. You know, the people who are there are Manilow fans. And as the show is going on, it is dawning on me as I'm, I'm turning around and I'm watching people and, and this guy is still an effortless singer. He's a fantastic band leader and a really, really good piano player. But I'm, I'm watching the audience and you know, there are, Men and women, you know, teary at certain songs, couples holding on to each other. This music really means something to to the people in the audience. And I'm thinking to myself, you know what? 40 years down the road, this guy's been doing it at such a high level for so long. As a musician, you really have to give love and cut respect to someone who has done what they do for so well for so long and have that kind of effect on people. Anyone who can move people with music is okay with me. And maybe it's because I've been a musician now for about 20 years again, anybody who can have that kind of effect on others with the music that they write and perform, that's just a cool thing. And you have to, you have to give love to somebody who can do that that way.
0: I, I totally agree, man. Yep. And and Manilow falls into that camp for me, too. I, I may actually like him more than you. It, it, it's I, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, you've you've gone to see him so much. And, and so you've got a you have an interesting relationship with Manilow, right? Because you've you've well, you've been you, you've you've been put in situations where you're going to go see him. And so I, I never have. But but I've always kind of liked his tunes. And and uh, but but, you know, do what would I choose to listen to him? Probably
1: not all that often. Well, uh, the thing is, I think he's, I think he's been around so long, kind of like Stairway to Heaven. I think he's back in vogue. I mean, I saw, I saw no hate towards him, like on social media or anything like that. No teasing, you know, like there was back in the day. So maybe he's just stuck it out so long that he's come out the other, he's made it through the rain, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, So uh, that's a Barry Manilow song, by the way. Uh, Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Got it. This has been fun. Yeah, that's good.
0: Now, you know, it's funny because I have, there's actually quite a few artists that fall into that category for me. And it's odd because the most of the artists I'm going to mention are rock guys. And I'm, you know, if I had to pick one style of music, above all it would probably be rock. That, that's kind of my favorite. I'm, I'm a jazz guy. I like a uh, fusion a lot, but, um, and, and, and I've even gotten into country just from playing it and, and learning to respect it kind of in the same way. But
1: uh, country is exactly that stuff. If if you're not a country fan, if you just sit back and watch how country music fans, that is their life, man. I mean, oh, yeah. a lot of people like jazz, but they like it at, you know at very different levels country music seems to be an in or out type of thing. And those people where country music is a soundtrack to their life. This is one of the most important things. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest concerts coming through town here, um, Chesney just came through and, and Luke Bryan and, you know, these concerts are selling out football stadiums here. That's right. And this is not Nashville. No, no, it's a huge thing.
0: It's a huge thing. But I would put on my, on my list along with Manilow, I would put, and, and, and some people are going to probably stop listening to this podcast forever. Uh, when I say these names and you might actually be one of them. So Lou Reed, uh, Neil Young, Bob Dylan, and to a degree, Bruce Springsteen are, are all on that list for me. I, I've never understood the, um, well, of the first three, I understand the appeal of Springsteen. I have yet to be caught by the bug and, and I, but I'm open to it as I've said to you. Uh, <laughs> but those first three, it, I don't think I will ever like listening to any of those artists. But Yet intellectually, right? I totally. Uh, listen, a lot of the people that that I respect and do choose to listen to are massively influenced by one or all of those. Right. So yeah. I, I get it. I, I'm totally respectful of what they've done. I'm thankful for what they've done, because a lot of the things that I like kind of came because
1: of that. So, yeah. But it, yeah, for you know, me, it's just not virtuosity, my Virtuosity. Virtuosity is not the. um is not the indicator. I appreciate virtuosity. Sure. But, you know, that someone can move people with a three chord song is just a remarkable thing in the universe. Right. You know, when simplicity can actually carry the day, that's that's fantastic stuff to me. I mean, Absolutely. go back. I mean, you well, think those are the
0: tunes that we're playing in our bands. Actually, I would say your band probably plays uh, more difficult tunes but by and large than than uh, than like Fling does. And we, really? I and mean, we have some, yeah, we've got some stuff that we do where we're playing some, some steely dance stuff and some stuff that's arranged in, in interesting ways. But I, I would say, you know, with all the arrangements that you have and, and certainly just managing playing and finding your space in amongst nine other people on stage, I, I think, I think you guys are, are, are probably more technical than, than we would be on any given mm. night.
1: I think so. Well, it, Again, I as a musician, know. you know, who rehearses and practices, I totally have an admiration for virtuosity. Yeah. But, but to me, it's a good story and a song and a powerful yet simple arrangement of music. That's the stuff that still take me same, same as it did when I was 15 years old. Yep. That's the stuff that still takes me somewhere else. That's awesome. It's good. It's good.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So uh, let's, let's do it. Let's talk about, uh, let's talk about practice. And, and I think, there's a I, I know there's a distinction between practicing and rehearsing um, practicing. I think we should define as as those things we do on our own to, to perfect our our skills or, or enhance our skills. And then rehearsing is something we do with other musicians. But between the two is also an important thing, and that is learning those songs that we're going to then play with other musicians or or even just learn to play on our own like like you know your acoustic gigs where you're playing solo. And so I I'm, I'm I'm curious and and we'll we'll pass this back and forth but I'm I'm curious how how often do you practice and when you practice do do you it, do you have an intention when you pick up a guitar or or start singing or whatever instrument it is you're going to do is there is there some plan in mind? He, you know, at any level uh, for that.
1: So I'm just curious how often you practice and, and what you do when you practice. So for me, uh, about the middle of January till the middle of June is when the band rehearses. I I try to have a guitar in my hand for at least a half hour to an hour every day. Um, I I am always working on things, whether it's looking, trying out, new material to see if it works for my voice or, you know, see if I can play it and sing it. Like if it's a more complicated thing sure. and for some reason, really infatuated with some Dave Matthews music, crazy hard to play and sing that stuff. Sometimes
0: I will say this about Dave Matthews and then I'll, I'll hand it back to you. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I play acoustic guitar sort of, I, you know, I've taken some lessons. I understand how to play an instrument. I understand chord structure, but, and I've learned, you know, various songs on, on the guitar with some, you know, you know, with minimal skill, but playing Dave Matthews songs, it feels more like you have to approach the guitar like a hand drum than a guitar. That that was my feeling as a, as a drummer coming at the, you know, a
1: drummer first coming at it. That's what it's like. It's like, you got all these things going on. Yeah. Very percussive. Yeah. He hears, he hears and he forms chords very differently Mm -hmm. than just about everybody. But that said, so, so, you know, if I had my druthers, I'd play two or three hours a day, you know, just practicing, whether it's and, and because I'm doing the solo acoustic stuff, the, the guitar in my hand is always a means to refining stuff that I'm already doing. Um, so two to three hours a day would be what I would love to do. A half hour to an hour a day is what I aim for. And I'm pretty good. You know, I'll get I'll get a little bit more than that on the weekends, especially when I'm not playing. And even even when we're not even when we're gigging a lot. I I need to have the guitar man a certain amount every day. You know, I I don't get tired of that fortunately. And even when we're rehearsing, like even if we take a break at rehearsing, I think I would be kind of like the equivalent of a gym rat in that when the band takes a break and goes out, you know, for five minutes or something like that, I'm still working on stuff myself. So I'm, I like rehearsing. I mean, to me, the basketball equivalent is, you know, shooting, shooting free throws just to get more practice in all the time. So I just, I just never, ever have gotten tired of it. I like doing it myself. I like the challenge of crafting a song and, and watching it get better. I record myself. We have these great tools, you know, on on uh, on computers now and pads and phones, sure. where I can record myself and get a reality check for how things sound. Um, so I I like to practice. I, I play for enjoyment, but even when I'm playing for enjoyment, I'm always thinking about how something will fit into the band or a solo performance or, or performance in general. So everything, when I have a guitar in my hand, because I play, I, I, it's always pointed towards uh, getting some performance value out of anything that I'm working on. Sure. Well, and I think that's important and, and such a hard thing
0: to instill in, in a new player, especially a player who's, who's learning their first instrument that, you know, if you just put in the time you, you, there is this end game here, right. And you will get there, but, but there's no secret to it other than the secret being you just put in the time and you will get there. Right. And, and depending on the complexity of the piece and your skill level coming in, the amount of time might
1: be, you know, radically different from one person to the next, but it, you will get there. Uh, go ahead. Two of the best musicians I know. So one, we've been fortunate enough to have, a couple of amazing subs be in our horn section from time to time. And I have one guy who's sub for me. His name's Stefan. He has this incredible band called Pacific Mambo Orchestra. They actually won a grambo for a Grammy for a grambo, a Grammy. <laughs> I was going to say, what the <laughs> heck is that? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, they won a Grammy for best, um, for best Latin music last year. Wow. This is a world-class musician. And, you know, when he sits in with my band, he talks about he needs an hour to two hours of practice every day. And this is a guy who's at that level and he still practices. And I have another friend who's a world class finger style guitar player. He teaches, he's got six or seven CDs out. He arranges beautiful guitar style music. He's a neighbor of mine, Neil Hogan, amazing player. He gets up at the crack of dawn and rehearses for a couple hours every day. So if the pros can do it and they're that good, I have no excuse not to do it.
0: Well, none of us have, I mean, we, we all can come up with excuses, but the reality is they're excuses. They're, they're, right. they're not good reasons. Yeah. Um, well, but, maybe they are at times, yeah. right? I mean, you, you got your family and your job and all that stuff, but uh, yeah. So when you pick up your guitar, I am assuming, you know, you've got, I know because I've, I've been in your office, you've got guitars in your office. Um, it, when you pick up a guitar, is that, is that half hour to hour a day Is that all at once or is this in like 15 minute spurts here or there? How how does that go for you?
1: If I'm fortunate, it's, it's, I can be by myself and do it. And I should say this, it's not just pick up the guitar. A lot of it for me, like I've shared with everybody, I have to work about five times as hard as most people to be a cohesive vocalist. And so a lot of it is working on, you know, vocal delivery, you know, where the buzz is in my head. Um, am I breathing right? And I record myself often and I actually, I actually will download, you know, karaoke tracks and practice the karaoke tracks and just record myself and hear how it's and hear how I'm doing. So, um, it's vocalizing as much as it is guitar playing, but I am mean, if I'm lucky, it's, it's a half hour straight to an hour straight. Uh, if it's a weird day, it's whatever time I can get yep. in. Right now, for example, I'm working on, um, I got asked to play a wedding and I'm working on Blackbird as the processional song, which, which is a cool, you know, guitar. And interestingly enough, not a terribly hard part to play. I can't even play that song. Yeah. 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 But I'll, but I'll tell you this. Play it like McCartney with a little finger flick on the rhythm. It's I actually know. very natural to him. It's very hard if you don't play that way.
0: And he even says that when he plays it live, he, you know, he, he'll ask the crowd. He's like, uh, you know, I'm going to play this song, Blackbird. How many people here have tried to play this? And everybody, puts, you <laughs> know, put, everybody puts their hands up and he says, you know, the funny thing is, I think you've all played it incorrectly. I've, yeah. I've watched a zillion people play it. He says, and nobody plays it right. He's like, But I'll do you a favor. I'm going to play it right. He's so comfortable Uh, being Paul McCartney, you know. Well, he's very good at it. Yeah,
1: he he really is. And he's happy doing it, too. But uh, so I'm working on Blackbird, playing it like Paul McCartney and singing it. And uh, it's uh, that's it's a great chop builder because it's a different style. Again, for Paul, that that little technique must be very natural to him. You know, it's not the type of thing. It's not the type of thing you can fake either. I mean, no. he plays that so perfectly rhythmically and he's not a freaking guitar player, which pisses the crap out of me. Well, but, um, I mean, that, that's a debatable point, right? <laughs> well, that actually technique is incredibly solid. Like if you're a yeah. guitar player, if you've played it right, you know, it's not natural. It's not finger plicking. It's not, you know, just a single strum. It's like this very percussive yeah. finger flick. And it's what actually makes the song is what, what grooves that little song.
0: It does. I, I noticed the, the a similar different technique, but a, but a similar thing that just comes out effortlessly. If you ever watch Paul Simon play uh, me and Julio down by the schoolyard, right on an acoustic guitar by himself and, and a great video to find is the one where he does it on Sesame street. And oh, so I I, look. he's got all these kids around him and he plays it, but he is, and he's playing open chords. I mean, this is not a difficult song except he's playing all the open chords and leaving his pinky to mute the strings in between his strums. And it's, you, you can tell he's not even thinking about this, right? It mm-hmm. just, it's just what he does. And yet it's the thing that makes it play. Right. <laughs> you know, it makes it the song you're used to hearing as opposed to just some
1: hack trying to do everything with his right hand. Like I do. Yeah. yeah. And he's a master. I mean, he's, oh, yeah, he's an incredible guitar player. Yeah.
0: OK, so so you really you really do have I, I, am, I am when I tell you my practice routine, you're you're either going to well, you're probably going to hate me um, uh, or or you're you're going to yell at me one or the other because I don't have nearly the the organization or discipline that you do. But but you're inspiring me, hopefully, to make some changes to my routine. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But you you really have a, a plan um, I mean, you're recording yourself, you're, you're downloading karaoke tracks. I mean, when you sit down to practice, you've got certain things that you do that really focus you on, on improving very specific areas of your, your, your playing. And and when I say playing, I mean, playing and singing it, you know, whatever, whatever instrument it is you're working on, if it's your voice, or your guitar or whatever, but you're, you're, you're very focused on the, on the end goal. That's, that's impressive, man.
1: Well, I, I, here's the thing. Having played with you and like I've told you many times and you know, you're a very, very good, I don't know if you're naturally blessed, but you're a very, very good musician. You're a really, really good drummer. I am really, really scared of stinking it up. So I just, <laughs> uh, it's more fear that there's nothing you know terribly valiant about this. It's just fear based. It's entirely fear based. I, I, I'm going to sound like a
0: jerk when I say this, I, I could use more of that fear. I, I will go, It's not uncommon for me to go weeks without picking up drumsticks. Um, But then if I do that, there are aspects of my playing that completely fall apart. Like, like my buzz roll. If I haven't picked up drumsticks, you know, in more, if it's been more than four or five days, typically my buzz roll just sucks, you know, and, and little things just suck. But in terms of an overall groove or whatever, that stuff is kind of internalized at this point. It would, I don't know how long I would have to go uh, before that started to fall away. Although I told you, I played that gig with, with chafe a couple of weeks ago and uh, we talked about it last week, but it was a couple of weeks before that. And I played horribly. I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't even sink into grooves. It was horrible, but, but it has inspired me to play more. And, uh, and, you know, I do have a, a set of sticks, uh, in a pad at my desk, which is downstairs underneath the studio here. And I use, uh, I, I typically, I have a book, uh, by George Lawrence stone called stick control, which is one of the various Bibles of, of, uh, of drummers. And it's really, um, it's, it's mostly playing rudiments, but with weird little sticking things that make you, break out of your comfort zone. And for me, that's a lot of it is, is the retraining of my brain, right? I mean, simply playing will get my hands into shape, right? It, so that they can do all the things that my, my brain wants to ask them to do, but playing these weird exercises really forces me into thinking and, and, and retraining my brain and rewiring my brain so that these weird things aren't weird anymore. And uh, I, I mentioned in the fall, I played with this guy, this guy, Dave Brunyak that, that was in pink talking fish, the guitar player. And I played a couple of fish tunes with him. And it, the interesting thing about fish songs is uh, the drum parts, the, the John Fishman, the, the drummer for fish is totally underrated. Nobody gives him the credit that he deserves. Um, he is a monster drummer. And as soon as you try to cop any of his grooves, you you just stop and realize, Holy crap. It's just, it's it. I mean, this stuff is really, really hard. But his formula isn't all that hard. He takes weird things and he'll he he, what he does is is what we drummers call independence exercises. So he'll do stuff that doesn't fit together. You know, he'll play something with his right hand that doesn't fit with what his left hand's doing that doesn't fit with his foot or, you know, either feet. And he creates these grooves that really work. But you you're never going to just sit down and play it. You've got to dissect it and figure out, okay, and then play it really slowly. And then, and then sort, again, rewire your brain. So I've been doing a lot of that lately is, um, is the rewiring, but having something like that to practice is, is and a challenge like that is the thing that drives me to practice. If I'm just going to sit down, there are times when I'll sit down and play and put on a click track, which I think is really important for anybody playing an instrument. Um, you know, I'll put on a click track and just for you know a half hour straight just play a straight rock groove you know, one and three on the kick two and four on the snare and just sink in to the click and i think that's a really important thing and i've that's something that i've done since i was a kid i think it's really helped me with my time and my feel and all of that and it helps you even when you're playing more complex grooves just knowing that you know you can trust your center and your time like that but um in order to bring myself to practice i gotta have something that's going to challenge me and um uh, and 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 really you know drive me to to do that so but I, I would love to practice every day and and lately last the last week or or so
1: when I've been home I have because well, I I'll tell you because I played you, that gig where I sucked yeah but you also uh, I think this is probably very real for guys like you and me you still have two kids and and family a lot of family stuff going on mm-hmm. we have a slightly different station of life that enables these types of things so I talked about you know, we talked about our families last week and I talked about how, when I started, I had little kids. I, I don't think I had nearly the work ethic that I have now. I mean, it was like, Oh, it's just three chord rock and roll. You know, no big deal. Yeah. But my desire to be good at my craft has grown over time. And you know, you, you are a trained, you know, you're a schooled musician, Dave. So you put in a lot of time, a lot of time early on. Yes. That gave you a foundation. I mean, it's it were, true. It were, I, I used to play two to three hours a day every day
0: for right. a period of years. I mean, and, and that, that has paid you off to some degree that'll last you your lifetime. Totally, absolutely, without question. Oh yeah, yeah, it's what I rely on when I go and, and suck at that gig. I mean, <laughs> if, if I imagine how bad it would have been, I wouldn't have been asked to play the gig if I, if i didn't already have that right i mean that's you know <laughs> the other guys didn't know how bad i sucked i think they did actually but they were being kind but that's okay you know it's good <laughs> yeah yeah it's um yeah it's 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 an interesting thing so um when when so there's there's practicing and there's you know perfecting your your craft and it sounds like you're always practicing at least with the idea of taking whatever you're practicing and, and, and turning it into something that you might play. And and of course there's a lot of filters that that goes through. You know, I always think of the funnel, right? When, it, when you put a song in the top of the funnel, it, it narrows down until the, the good songs come out that you actually play live with, with either yourself or your band or whatever. But, yeah. but it sounds like you're always, it, it, whatever you're playing is, is it, is at least at the top of the funnel. Um, it, At some level, I, it, what's interesting for me is i don't I, I i have a weird process when it comes to learning songs that i'm going to play with a band um unless there is something very technically challenging about the groove and and those fish tunes would certainly fall into that a tune like little Feet's hate to lose your love and where it's mm. just there's a weird groove or oh yeah or, right you know or fool in the rain uh, These things where there's like something that I have to some some math problem I need to solve and then translate to my hands. Right. You, you know, those kinds of things, certainly I will work on ahead of time, because if I don't, it's it's just not going to come out. There's You know, the, my, I'm not I'm not that good. You, you know, I've got to I've got to figure it out. But if it's a straight ahead rock tune, um, my process is I listen to it a ton. And you know, part of listening for me, I'm a drummer, right? So tapping along on a desk or a steering wheel is actually quite valuable to me, right? I can sort of sort out what it's going to feel like to play these things. I can visualize that, um, but more importantly for me is getting the feel of the tune and 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 learning the form so that I can. It, it, it anybody who's played with a drummer knows the more confident your drummer is in in the form and just what what he or she is playing the better your whole band sounds and the more comfortable your band is, right? Cause you're not feeling like the drummer's hesitating. Like, should we change here or whatever? So learning the form of the tune, even if that requires charting it out, which I sometimes will do. Uh, but it's not uncommon for me to show up at a band rehearsal and we're going to learn a tune or we're going to play a tune for the first time. And it is the first time I've played that song at a set of drums. Now it's not the first time I've thought about playing it at a set of drums. Uh, but it's, it's usually uh, the first time that I do. And then playing it through with the band, I learn a ton because all I've been doing is thinking about playing it with the recording. Even if I happen to have played it at my drums, I'm not playing it without the recording. I've got the recording in headphones and I'm playing along with another drummer. Right. And so playing it without another drummer is a very important step for me because it allows me to find those things where, Oh wow. Okay. I've got to hold this together here. Or I've got to let this breathe a little more here, right? All those things that the other drummer is doing when I'm playing along with it on the radio, or you know, right? The, right? I mean, it, these are important things, and um, I don't know if it's the same for for guitar players or keyboard players or bass players, um, but it's definitely that way for me. And then after I've played it once, even if it's half a train wreck, right? Then I know, and I'm like, okay, now I can work on this tune. And, and then when I listen to it again, I'm listening to it with a whole different set of ears. Right. Cause I, I know more about this tune. I know what it takes. I know where the pitfalls are and, and, uh, and then it comes together
1: much, much better for me. So well, you bring up a really, really good point. So this, uh, unless you're a tribute band where everybody in the band is focused on every little nuance of what they heard on the recording, which is, you know, that's certainly one genre of music. So if you're that, this conversation doesn't, doesn't I, apply to you. I think it you. still applies cause I think you still have to drive it. You know, you're, Oh you're, no! No, my point is much different. Ahead. My point okay, is this. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my point is, uh, you know, if you're a cover band and you say we agree we're going to do this tune, and then you come to rehearsal, and you play, and it doesn't sound exactly like the record, <laughs> and then you start does. trying to, right. and, and you know, in my band, here, the, here's the dynamics we have. My horn guys are great readers. They, you know, they they're reading charts. Uh, one guy charts. And, you know, we they, they know they're going to walk in. There's going to be charts and they read the charts down. And, you know, they're really, really good readers. Um, I have a horrible memory, so I have to write a lot of notes to myself. And form is always the thing that, you know, form and words are, yep. are you know, just takes me a long time for them to sink in. Uh, my bass player is a meticulous preparer. He, write, he writes crib notes to himself. Nobody else can read whatever he's written down, but he, you know, he, he charts for himself and he's ready to go. The drummer is kind of a combination. He, he'll, he'll woodshed, and, uh, but he'll want to come in and hear. And, and my point of all this is that everybody comes in and you know, maybe it's the benefit of a band that's been together for a long time, but there's a little bit more of a, oh, I wonder what we're going to do to this song And half of the, no, I mean, it's in a positive way. I wonder what is it going to sound like when we play it, you know, and again, we're adding horn charts to things that didn't have horn charts before. So the, you know, what are the important stuff that was there that we heard before I tend to take a lot of stuff from live performances. That's always interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, you know, on studio recordings, there's a lot of effects and there's a lot of things that, you know, like, um, What was that rat song round and round? How are you ever going to do that reverse drum thing? Right. Dude. I've I've played that song live. Yeah. But you can't, you can't do that effect live, right? No,
0: no, 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 no. You have to go listen to how they
1: did it live or have seen them and remembered. Yeah. My point. Exactly. So, so I, I tend to prefer live recordings, uh, wherever possible for us to learn stuff on because it's how the artists interpreted it live and what, he thought would go over live and there's often, you know, cool stops and cool hits and things that kind well, yeah, of bring you, a song to life. You have but to my remember, is,
0: yeah, you have to remember that, that these songs were probably written with, you know, just the raw band together or, or at least prepared that way. And then the studio things sort of get out of control, but the, in a good way, but never in a way that can be reproduced live.
1: Right. That's so, it. Yep. They are, they are produced in the studio is the point. That's right. Yeah. And so, Uh, This whole thing about finding the the space slightly different when the beat is slightly different, you you know, there's all these little nuances. Some of it become your style. Some of it is just wrong and you got to fix. Everybody hears things. It's funny. You can have 10 guys listen to the exact same thing and have a bunch of guys, you know, walk away hearing different, totally understanding, totally different things. So that preparation is a really interesting thing. Like I said, our horns, they walk in and they'll read stuff down. Um, All of the rhythm section guys, we would shed on our own and then we come in and, but we always need to listen to it together before. Well, it's always most effective if we listen to it together before we start to play it. So your point about the first time you play things sometimes without playing along to the other drummer is really interesting. And again, when your band has been together for a while, or if the vibe of your band is that, listen, we love the song, you know, but wait till wait till people hear how we do the song. And, and that's also a funny discussion. My keyboard player and I had a very interesting discussion early on in the life of the band. We were like, if you can't improve upon the original, play it just like the original. Yeah. But there's gray. The problem is there's gray yeah, in between there.
0: Well, and and also, you know, there's if you can't improve upon the original, play it like the original or or at least as well as you can possibly play it. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes you're not going to be able to play. I mean, you know, we all come in with different skills and and different foundations. So it, to to be able to cop exact feel of an original, if you can't come up with something better and that's subjective, too, obviously. But, you know, the the, the chances that you're going to be able to just play with the exact same style, the exact same tone, and I mean drum tones as well as guitar tones. The exact same vocal inflection, right? I mean, this is nearly impossible for yes. most musicians. It's just yes. not how it works. Yeah, that,
1: yeah. That is the interesting thing about the tribute bands is that they sweat the inflections, and you know, we have some great tribute. I mean, we have a yeah. a Pink Floyd tribute band out here. You close your eyes, it sounds like Pink Floyd. We have a Beatles tribute band out here that you know they call the Sun Kings. Man, mm-hmm. I mean. They sweat the details. It's really, really impressive. And a couple of Eagles, you know, vocal harmony experts, and uh, they don't have as many guitars, so that's one thing. It's not a three-guitar band, but um, vocally, they do a really, really good job. So those tribute bands, it's kind of fun. Oh, there's a Journey, a tri- couple of them out here. Journey's from this area here, and there are a couple of tribute bands to Journey out here. They freaking sound exactly like Journey. It's crazy. They they sweat the vocal inflections and the tones and those types of things.
0: Yeah. Well, I that's- mean, look, the guy that's singing with Journey, I think, was with a Journey tribute band at, b- prior to that. Huh. Right. That's right. The guy that's singing for Yes, because John Anderson got sick and, and and they parted ways, I think, in a final in a in sort of a, 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 a definitive way. But the guy that now sings with Yes was from a Yes tribute band. And and um, of course, this is all f- falling apart now, but that band further. Uh, which was many, but not all, so, two members of the Grateful Dead. And right. but they were playing dead tunes, right? Um, the, the guitar player, John Gladechik, whatever his name was, was uh, the Jerry player in Dark Star Orchestra. Yeah. And, you know, and so, so you know, he, these things actually pay off for some people. In fact, I read an article where that guy, John, whatever, I can't remember or pronounce his last name, but he got an email from Bob Weir, saying, Hey, I want to talk to you about a project we're putting together. It was stuck in his spam folder. He almost deleted it. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I know. So that'll teach you to check your spam folder folks. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What have we deleted, Paul? (laughs) We could, we could have been somebody. (laughs) I I think we had the opportunity. We just, you know, yeah. Google spam filters a little too good for us.
1: (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing, you know, learning tunes and, And I think it's what's great is once you've got a band together long enough or, you know, if if whoever's the leader or however the the foundation of the band works sends this message properly that, you know, we're either going to be a tribute band or we're going to be us playing these other tunes Um, that needs to be clear up front. And I, you know, I've said this before and I, um, I, I love our, our bass player Burke in, in fling. He's, he's, uh he's one of my, I I love all the bass players I've played with, but he's, he's, you know, I'm very happy to play with this guy. He is a dead fan, a grateful dead fan, uh, has been probably since birth and be almost because of that, it's very difficult for us to play grateful dead tunes in fling because, we will never play them exactly
1: like the dead did. Well, wait a second. The dead never played them exactly like the dead did.
0: Well, it was yeah. Different every night. right? It was different every night, but, but that's, that's part of the problem is, you know, we'll be, we'll be talking through these tunes and Burke will say, Oh no, 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 we got to play it. You got to hear this recording from 1986 when they did this thing. And it's like, whoa, dude, you know that I'll, we'll listen to it, but you have to understand it's going to go through the fling filter. And, and it's just, it's hard for him to accept these tunes in a way that's different from, it, it's his favorite band, right? Well,
1: I, and, I, I, and so it's I've okay to just before. walk away from it. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I said, yeah. When we played Bruce's stuff, I, I've yeah. had to really get my head around. It doesn't sound exactly like what it sounds like in my head. Right. And it would actually throw me off sometimes because you're, you're almost preoccupied with what you're not hearing. That it's almost hard, you know, when you know this stuff so well, and it's so meaningful to you. It's almost harder to perform that stuff, but it's actually starting to get a little bit more fun. Once you let that go, yeah. if you really love the song and you say, Hey, you know, now's my chance to make it mine. You can actually have some fun with it. And well, that's, 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 th- what gotten.
0: that's the trick. and And I can tell some, and we, we play a couple of dead tunes and they work and we've tried others and it just, they don't stick because I can tell he's not happy and I can tell we all feel it, that he's playing along to a different version than we're playing. Right. Like you said, he's he's preoccupied by, you know, that part that he's hearing in his head. That's not coming from anywhere. Right. And and um, I feel like I said, I I said it before when we talked about it, I feel bad for him. (laughs) Um, But there's there's nothing we can do to solve that problem. You know, our guitar player is not going to magically turn into Jerry Garcia overnight. I'm not going to be able to play dead grooves like those two drummers did simultaneously. I probably am not going to be able to play dead grooves like either one of them. Either one of them. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just not my style. Um, and it's a, you know, I mean, I can, I can play grooves, but not, you know, they, those guys had weird beat placement and weird drum sounds too, to be honest, they had a really weird PA, um, which is a whole other conversation. Owsley Stanley. That well, was kind of a hybrid, right? Of Bob Heil. The guy who built Owsley their Stanley. Their, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But anyway, that's a much deeper, longer conversation. So this has been interesting. Do we have more to talk about on this one here, Paul?
1: Well, I think we could probably go for days on this because we'll come back to it sometime. Yeah, we shouldn't. So we we didn't. We we talked a little bit of practicing. We didn't really talk a whole lot about rehearsing a little bit about it. Yeah, but I, I think it's good for future discussion. So hopefully if you guys are out there listening Let us know about what about practice routines or rehearsal routines are of interest to you. Let us know how you do it and maybe it'll give us some ideas. Uh, Just keep sending us notes because the more you let us know what you want us to talk about, the better the shows can be.
0: Absolutely. And we've got some questions coming up. We've got the, the insurance question. Somebody was asking about uh, insuring your instruments. So we're, we're going to, we're going to visit that in a couple of weeks uh, because, um, Well, because frankly, we're doing some internal research to make sure we get you the right information. And we're going to have a conversation about the dark art of drum tuning someday. Maybe that's a good one for us to have a guest with too. Uh, so if anybody, if anybody feels like feels strongly about that, let us know. You can reach us at feedback at gig And you can email us anything there, any of the things we've already discussed or any things you're interested in, what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show, whatever you like um, to email us. We'd love to hear from you. And that email feedback at gig gab com goes to both Paul and I. So we will see it. And uh and come join us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash you guessed it, gig gab podcast. Uh that's where that's where you can find us there and we'll uh we'll see where that all goes. It's been fun though. I'm I'm
1: looking forward to uh I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where this thing is in a year too, Paul. Well that's the thing is we you know we've started this just because it's two guys who wanted to make sure we checked in with each other. But the concept, what do we have? Six seven hundred people are starting to download it every yeah. week. We're starting to see some likes on the Facebook page. comments starting to come in on the on the iTunes page it's It's incredibly rewarding that it's just we're just doing what we would do even if nobody was listening. The fact that people out there around the world are starting to take a little bit of notice and add their two cents into this. We're all just musicians just trying to figure it all out and get the most out of our craft so it's it's really. Very, very rewarding. Very, very rewarding when we hear from you guys.
0: I, I will say this. Um, You said we're all just musicians and that's who we expected our our audience to be. What astounds me is hearing from all of the people that listen that aren't musicians that like music and are interested in kind of seeing behind the curtains, too. So we've got it all. It's great. We're, yep. we're uh, it's great. fortunate. I think it's pretty good. Thanks for listening, folks. Have uh, Have a good week. Hey, Paul. Nice talking to you, man.
1: See Dave, thanks everybody.